Move, counter move, detect, prevent, and defense. Being a CISO is like waging a never-ending chess game against players you don't know, can't see, and attack without warning. On this podcast, cybersecurity experts from Zscaler's Office of the CISO have a pragmatic dialogue on cyber risks, current attacks, and security trends. Welcome to the CISO's Gambit. Hi, Brad Moldenhauer here for another edition of the CISO's Gambit. And again, I am joined by our full global roster. Good morning, Danny Connolly. Hello. Mark Lewick, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Nicolai Casimir, bonjour. Hi, everyone. And today on this edition of the CISO's Gambit, we are going to be talking about, well, something not exactly new. Maybe old, but still new, if that makes sense. We're going to be talking about the 25-year-old technology known as virtual private networking. And Danny, as I understand it, you have recently prepared a piece that's going to be published to introduce us as to why we are talking about a 25-year-old technology. Take it away. Uh, Three days ago, um, there was a uh, 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 vulnerability disclosed that is from the Pulse Connect Secure um, remote access solution. Basically, it's a commonly used uh, SSL remote access solution that, that allows users to connect to a corporate network remotely. It's, uh, it's kind of the, 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 the normal uh, discussion about why, um, you know, why legacy VPN solutions and, and that uh, exposure of your VPN service to the internet is a ticking time bomb. Um, it is you are one vulnerability away from a major breach and a ransomware issue. Um, so just wanted to kind of uh, you know get this article out and and really drive the importance of of getting off that legacy VPN type solution. And let's just uh, kind of open it up. I'm, I'm curious on your thoughts. Well, I mean, yeah, it, it almost I, I you know I hate to be cliche on this, but it's like another week another VPN vulnerability, right? That's right. I mean, doesn't that just kind of seem like what this is? I mean, again, this, yeah, you know, this is something that, um, you know, I had to deal with as well. Um, in my previous role, we had, uh, you know, three uh, VPN concentrators spread across three different continents, all of them with that publicly exposed inbound listener. And of course, I remember um, the nightmare that would ensue when a zero day, um, you know, update or CVE was released for these, because again, okay, as a security practitioner, I understand the risk, but you know, we all have operational responsibilities as well, just because something says, Hey, this can be, you know, exploited any second now, you know, you just can't apply those to your production environment, especially when you've got remote users in the wild that are leveraging that. Um, you know, so, you know, that was one of the big operational challenges um, I always had. And, you know, I just, <clears throat> I always thought I was like, <clears throat> you know, look, um, you know, IPsec and SSL VPNs, they certainly serve their purpose. But a few years ago, I just said there has to be a better way. For, the, for our listeners, I'm the old man of the village, right? I've been 25-year security, uh, security practitioner. And I got to say, 20 of those 25 years, and I want to say like 22 of those 25 years, I never heard of a single VPN vulnerability. And suddenly, they're sitting, starting to hit us rapid fire. Now, the question is, 
Is this because it's 25 year old technology or is that because suddenly some threat actors are recognizing, Hey, hang on a second here. You're building a, building a tunnel into your own network where I want. That's where I want to get to. That's the good stuff. Is this a focus issue or is this an age issue? If it's a focus issue, then the architecture is wrong. If it's an age issue, well, then maybe there's a technological solution to this. Yeah, it's a good call. Uh, I mean, a focus issue that is also reinforced by the current situation where all of the user is now remote and, and then the needs for those VPN is higher than ever. So I, I do think that... Um, attacker were paying much more attention to those remote access than previously, that, that's for sure. But I, I also want to um, rephrase a bit and, and, and I, I would say that we are very lucky to be within Zscaler to have that solution that is you know, covering the attack surface risk, reducing that attack surface risk and having you know, that architecture that is basically using only aggress traffic from the data center of the cloud environment, which is changing everything because we should be facing that reality. We are calling VPN a legacy architecture because we have a new way of uh, connecting those users to the application. But, but those, those companies who are still laying on those uh, v VPN, I think that uh, we also have to uh, discuss about the fact that Basically, on VPN uh, uh, way of connecting application, we are kind of giving some rights to an IP address, and we and this is the, the old way of giving authorization. Whereas uh, in our ZPA uh, solution, we are much more um, um, giving authorization based on a verified identity, and we are not providing any network access to to the data centers and so on which is also a limiting factor for lateral movements yeah. uh, and and this is clearly one of the highlights uh, of our product i think that's that's the key nikolai really it's you know a vpn is really a remote extension of your network right that endpoint uh, just you needs to authenticate to that vpn concentrator and then all of a sudden it's it, you're on the network. You're able to do things like you exactly. were. Yeah, and, and you know something else very important to mention in this too? You know, some VPN concentrators actually store credentials at, at that the point. Contain. So Absolutely. yeah, yeah, that's that's another huge form. <laughs> yeah, and, and we, are, we are also discussing right now about the extension of the attack surface uh, with all of those remote worker uh, sitting on their home, and connecting from their home uh, home network uh, with all their family connected to the same network and so on. Uh, so the question is now, what is the perimeter, the corporate perimeter? Uh, is, is, is it still the old way of thinking where you have that Castellan mode uh, system where your user are inside your walls, your, uh, your, your premise, your application is there too, your data is there too? Or, or, or does the picture has changed completely? Yeah. And, I, and the COVID really emphasizes those changes. The data is gone, the application are gone, the user <laughs> is not <laughs> there anymore. <laughs> so right. uh, where uh, is your network? Where is the perimeter? Like it's all blended together. Exactly. And so it's really emphasizes the need to connect securely an application and, and, and not giving access 
to an application based on a network information, which is the you know also the discussion about the zero trust network architecture, uh, that buzzy word that uh, you know uh, <laughs> could be could be a marketing term sometime, and sometime it could be a really working principle uh, for for solution. So. Right. Yeah. So, you know, and I think all of these are great points, but, you know, going back to um, the PC you have coming out, Danny, I, you know, and I, uh, maybe I'm just speaking for myself. I'm not sure if Nicola or Mark have actually had a chance to look in to, um, you know, the Homeland Security's uh, emergency directive on this. Is there, is there anything specific in there that jumped out to you that we haven't seen in some of these previous VPN CVEs that make this one a little bit um, different? Uh, the thing that stood out me to me was the speed at which CISA acted on this one. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they they obviously know all the specific threat actors, right, and groups. They, it is certainly their mission um, to do uh, indicator share, sharing and cyber threat intel. So they they have details on um, you know what threat actors are specifically targeting, what vulnerabilities are targeting. So the fact that they did identify this. Um, so so quickly after the uh, after the vulnerability disclosure, requiring all federal agencies to not only mitigate, basically patch the vulnerability, um, but then use a uh, tool that you have to run to see if the uh, running binaries have been already previously compromised. Right. And and, and so basically, in my opinion, by the time vulnerability disclosure comes out, you're already done. Right. Like, you know, that that whole process isn't isn't a good process. Like it takes time to get through that. So oh, it's like sure. by the time you hit that, what has been lost? You know, so anyways, yeah. it, it's patch the <laughs> vulnerability and then uh, and run that tool so, and report back. So I got a question, I guess. Are, are we to believe that some of the more offensive security tools out there, you know, your Metasploit's core impacts, have those already been updated with this exploit? So like, you know, red teamers and even malicious actors can now start exploiting uh, these CVEs on these concentrators? I, I haven't looked, but the fact that there's exploit code publicly available or that there have been uh, exploit attempts seen in the wild, it means... It's in the public domain, and it's a matter of time before that gets reversed and then put into a toolkit like Metasploit. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it's it's literally a race. Exactly, it's a real race between uh, you know security researcher that wants to be published quickly because That's right. they, they 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 were finding some some vulnerabilities and and security providers to, to patch and, and and so on. So it's a real qu- question of uh, uh, actively uh, patching the environment and so on uh, about those vulnerabilities. But also what is important to to highlight is the fact that uh, uh, whenever you are patching uh, a vulnerability, it doesn't mean that you were not previously compromised. Then, you know, the, the, the attacker can be still there even if you have patched your, your systems. And, and, and so... Um, you shouldn't be considering that, okay, you're patched, that's okay, nothing went wrong, and it's a, it's a real burden, all of those vulnerabilities, because you still have that uncertainty that uh, an attacker were already exploiting those vulnerabilities and is already within your perimeter, and I'm, I'm always, <laughs> I'm again referring to the old notion of perimeter, so sorry, <laughs> but but this is still true. 
Mark brought up a good point earlier about what's cool. driving this. Why now, after 20 some years, why are these all these significant VPN related vulnerabilities? Because that's the gateway, right? The gateway into a corporate environment. All of the big vendors have had the vulnerabilities. We've got the Palos, the Cisco's, the Citrix, the Fordnets, the Pulse Secure, obviously. You know, they all have vulnerabilities. And um, nation state threat actors, or not even nation state threat actors, but sophisticated threat actors with a significant amount of backing, usually a government with a lot of money, right, can reverse engineer these products and find vulnerabilities that haven't been disclosed and create exploits for them. And and how much is your uh, security control enabled within those remote access? uh, Yeah, That's right. You typically allow those VPN IPs, like, if you think about the internal side of a corporate network, yeah, you, you, you're not going to block those VPN IPs from communicating with things across your network because it's supposed to provide access. The, the turning the crank on maturity of your security program is always going to provide benefits. The problem is those benefits are not tangible, whizzy, nifty, or clear. However, moving your architecture away from an area that let's not pretend that VPNs aren't simply connecting two networks together. That's what they are. Okay, one side is usually a network of one, but it's still connecting two networks together. And that whole ideology, philosophy, architecture, and technology is not really what it was never what we wanted to do. Why would we want to connect two networks together? We want to connect people to applications. We want to provide the whole thing about VPN was remote access, right? Right. It's not connecting networks to networks. That was just the way we achieved remote access. Let's achieve remote access in a more secure, more sensible way. So you know what? When I hear all of this, let's take it back to our level, that CISO level. You start getting all this information, right? And then you just, you start doing what it is that we do best. We are the best at managing and mitigating risk. So you start hearing these things about VPN. You're like, okay, let's think about the controlled design. Is it strong? Is it insufficient? Or is it flawed? And then you look at it. What is it actually doing for us? Is it preventing a risk? Is it, you know, is it understandable? Is it scalable? Is it verifiable? Is it sustainable? Is it scoped appropriately? Eventually, when it comes to VPN, the answer to all of these is probably going to be no and flawed. All right. So (laughs) you've got to really start taking a look at whether you want to redesign it, remove it, or, you know, put in something in place that's going to, you know, get you out of the position that you're in where risk is unseen, unmanaged, and unmitigated. Drops the mic. How about that, Roldo? I think that wraps up this week's conversation on VPNs and, and, uh, and this really interesting focus on how the VPNs become a new target for threat actors, be they nation state or not, and how it might be a good idea to start reconsidering how you provide remote access to your users. Until next week, it's been the four guys from Zscaler and CISO's Gambit. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Cheers. Ciao. Thanks for listening to the CISO's Gambit with Brad Moldenhauer and Danny Connolly. Check back with your podcast provider regularly for more episodes. Brad and Danny are both CISOs at Zscaler. You can find their profiles on LinkedIn or reach out to them and other CXO transformation leaders in the Zscaler CXO community LinkedIn group. Zscaler is a zero trust exchange cloud security provider for some of the largest companies on the Forbes Global 2000. Find out more about Zscaler at zscaler.com. Copyright 2021.